Well, hey there, crazy listeners. This is Kim Constable of the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares, work harder. How are you doing this wonderful week? So good to talk to you again. Um, I have another interview for you today. I've really been getting into the interviews recently, and this is definitely one I think you are going to want to listen to. So let me just give you a little bit of the backstory. I was interviewed by my guest today. His name is John Lee Dumas. He has one of the most successful podcasts in the world. It is called Entrepreneurs on Fire. And he interviewed me on his podcast about a year and a half ago. And then recently, I found out that he has a new book coming out called The Common Path to Uncommon Success, which is all about... Um, creating a roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment, where he literally breaks down step by step how somebody can find their big idea, be successful, create a roadmap, and every single thing that you need to do to go from, I don't even have a business idea, to I have a wildly profitable, successful business in only 17 steps. Now, of course, it's not just about like reading the book and then you will be wildly successful. You actually have to do the work to get there. But John Lee Dumas truly is one of the great entrepreneurs um, of our time. He knows exactly how to make money. And not only that, he has had 90 months of his podcast generating over $100,000 in revenue, a minimum of $100,000, sometimes up to a quarter of a million dollars, 90 months, $100 million. And he only employs three virtual assistants in the Philippines and has a monthly wage bill of under $4,000. Now, that made my eyes water a little bit because my monthly wage bill is about 20 times that. So I was interested to hear uh, John's uh, tips for success. And I cannot wait to read the book when it comes out March 23rd. And so really this interview um, isn't really just about, you know, I don't really get into John's history and we do talk a little bit about that, but a lot of it is about um, me just asking him to dig deep into the strategies that make somebody successful. He's interviewed over 3,000 people on his podcast, 3,000 wildly successful entrepreneurs, including Amy Porterfield, Seth Godin, um, uh, Tony Robbins, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, like some of the icons of our time have been on on his podcast. And he really has been able to distill to the, the tiniest detail, the simplest methods, what it is that makes people successful. So this master or this podcast is actually more like a masterclass. It's not really a podcast interview. It's actually more like a masterclass. So if you're not interested in finding out, you know, how to find your big idea, how to, you know, turn it into a highly successful, profitable business, then this episode probably isn't for you. But you know what? You might actually enjoy some of the strategies in it. They may help you with other areas of your life, even if you're not looking to build a business. So I would suggest that you listen to it anyway and just hear how awesome John is. So before we get into the interview, um, just let me remind you that if you want to win a sculpted vegan program, including the 18-month Sculpt and Shred, then all you have to do is leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast, screenshot the review, send it to me on Instagram at the Sculpted Vegan. We flag all of the uh, pictures that are sent to us and then every month we choose a winner of one of our amazing programs and next month it could be you we're going to choose March's winner this is February now 2021 when you're listening to this we're going to choose March's winner in the next couple of weeks and you can enter every single week in February if you want send me four different reviews send me 10 different reviews if you listen to 10 different podcasts and the more chances the more times you review the more chances you have to win so let's go and hear from John and I will chat to you guys again at the end 
John, John Lee, whatever I, whatever I get to call you on this podcast, welcome. <laughs> I am fired up to be here, Kim. It's great to flip the mics and, you know, you rock the mic and entrepreneurs on fire. I do my best on your show. Here, I have to be honest, right? I was a little nervous going to Ooh. interview you in this one. And I'll tell you why, because I was like, whenever I was on your podcast, it was like so planned. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and now from having done a lot of research about you, of course, I now know why, which I want to talk about whenever we get into it. But I was like, holy crap, this guy is like the most organized, efficient like guy I've ever met in my entire life. Even just before we went live, you were admiring my setup. And I was like, this is because of you. I didn't have all this before you insisted that I have it on the podcast. So I have to say, I did learn a lot about you from doing my own podcast um, and growing my own podcast and making sure it was it was good. But you are the podcast master, John. Be true. Be fair to say that, wouldn't it? I, I, that would be fair. Absolutely. Would you say that Entrepreneurs on Fire is one of the biggest podcasts in the world? Absolutely. Especially if you're focusing on the business niche. I mean, Entrepreneurs on Fire was launched in 2012 as the first and only daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. And I like to say the day I launched, it was the best daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. It was the worst daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. It was the flipping only daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. And, and we'll come back to this theme a little bit throughout our chat today because I can't help it. But that's what so many people are missing today, Kim. They can't figure out how to be the only. I mean, I think you're a magnificent example of niching and, and identifying a niche and owning that niche and why more people can't get it. You know, why people can't understand that just launching a podcast interviewing entrepreneurs in 2021 doesn't work is beyond me, but I'm doing my best to kind of try to help people figure out the why and the where and you know, now I got 3,000 episodes under my belt with some of the world's most inspiring and successful entrepreneurs like yourself and uh, over 100 million listens to date. And the podcast itself gets 1.4 million listens every uh, every single month. And something I'm proud of for various reasons, which again, we can get into more detail later. We just hit our 90th month in a row, 90 of, of over $100,000 of net profit, 90 months in a row. So that's something that uh, we are doing also is not just running a, a media juggernaut that is seen everywhere and heard everywhere, but that actually generates revenue too, which is a lot less common than you would think. Yeah, I can imagine. You know what? I, I love it. Um, thank you very much for your kind words about me. By the way, I don't think I'm anywhere near you just yet, but uh, I do appreciate it. Um, but you've just jumped to like my, my my 10th question. So that's fine. We'll just like go straight in there since there's there's no need for me to warm you up in advance, you know, ask you what your favorite <laughs> restaurant is or your favorite meal in the restaurant and all those, you know, fluffer questions. Sure. Because John, you actually are like the podcasting king and you, you know, you, you actually are bringing out though which I do want to talk about all the way through this and especially at the end, a brand new book being released on the 23rd of March, which is The Common Path to Uncommon Success, A Roadmap to Financial Freedom and Fulfillment, which I cannot wait to read. And it's really just, um, and we are going to talk about it more at the end, but truly that's why I wanted to have you on here to talk about the book because so many of my listeners not only follow, follow me for bodybuilding, but also I did launch a business course last year as well. And so I, I kind of went more into the business side of it and I had a huge amount of, of people join my program and and join my groups. And uh, we do have a lot of listeners now follow me for business. So because you've launched this book, because it is kind of the culmination of some of the greatest minds and business minds that you have interviewed, it's just like a step-by-step process really, isn't it? To success. It's a, 17, it's a 17 step roadmap. And that's what I'm really proud of is that, listen, people don't want just like 10 principles of this or seven, this of that. What people want is a literal, not a figurative, a literal roadmap. They want to say, hey, this is where you start, step one. 
this is the second step, step two, all the way through until they're achieving financial freedom and fulfillment. And we can talk about the combination of those two words later because it's super important. But to answer your question directly and concisely, this is that, a 17-step roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment. I know exactly what the most successful entrepreneurs over the past 10 years now that I've been interviewing them, I know what foundational principles we all share. And I mean, we by yourself, me, and the other 3,000 plus successful entrepreneurs, we all share very common principles that have allowed us to achieve uncommon success. And I break those down. I put them in a chronological step-by-step roadmap and I've laid them out for you in a book. And this book is there for you. And I don't want to be mean at the beginning of this episode, but if you follow this roadmap, and you really don't achieve your version of financial freedom and your version of fulfillment within three to six months, then maybe this entrepreneurship thing just isn't for you. And that's okay, Kim. It's not for everybody. The 37th employee at Facebook, a lot richer than you or I will ever be. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes being a number two, you have a fantastic COO I got to meet right before the chat. Sometimes being a number two, a number 10, a number 200 is a lot better fit for people than being this entrepreneur, this solopreneur. But what I love about it is this book is going to, number one, get to those true entrepreneurs to financial freedom and fulfillment. Alternatively, it's going to get people to realize it's not for them quickly. And now we can move on to where you should be focusing in life. And you can get there fast now because you're not kind of just pondering for years. Oh, should I try this entrepreneurship thing? And let's just know, let's just figure it out. Do you find, though, that that is hard for people? I want to talk a wee bit about your own background, first of all. Well, in a second, but a question has come up that I do want to ask on the back of that. Do you find that it's uh, hard for people to admit that they're a number two? Do you think there's like an element of pride attached to it? Because, you know, what you've said there is something that I always say. I'm like, you know, I talk about Bob Iger, who was the CEO of Disney. Bob Iger retired uh, with 2.2 billion being worth 2.2 billion. He never created anything. He didn't create Disney. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't an entrepreneur in that way. He went in as the CEO of Disney. He's worth 2.2 billion. So being a number two sometimes is where you need to be. Do you find people find that hard to admit or hard to accept? The right people don't find that hard to accept because it's the right fit for them. It was the right fit for Bob Iger. And in fact, there's a fantastic podcast called Business Movers where they go through Walt Disney's life and it's fantastic. And Walt Disney was a very interesting character. I mean, he had a lot of flaws. He had a lot of great things that he brought to this world and he had a lot of struggles in life as well. And he was the epitome of the number one, the guy that was willing to break through walls and barriers and make things happen but he never, ever would have achieved any success without his number two, which at that time was not Bob Iger, it was actually his brother. Mm-hmm. And his brother was the brains, the financial genius, the guy that held it all together behind the scenes while Walt was off doing a million things. And yes, I get, I guess I get the, I get that Walt gets all the accolades, mm-hmm. but listen, like <laughs> Walt's brother he was just as important, if not more important than Walt for a lot of reasons. And so there needs to be a lot of pride in being a number two and being a number 10 and being a person that is filling a valuable role in a company that's going forward. And, and there's a lot of benefit there. And so that needs to be thought of as well. Mm-hmm. I always say to my team, actually, because with this, my company is growing so, 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 so fast. Um, we've gone from zero to 8 million in three years. And so and we are growing, 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 you growing. You still have time to work out? I train five days a week. So. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
I, <laughs> I was like, of course Instagram. I do. I, do. I, train, I train five days a week. It's part of my life, which is why actually it's part of the reason why um, it's forced me. People always say to me, you know, oh, what do you think is the one thing that's made you successful? Well, many things, but for me, certainly I, I do the things in my company that only I can do. I don't do anything else. I don't write one other email, one other post. I don't, I, you know, I only do the things that only I can do. I'm the chief visionary officer. That's what I call myself. I have the vision. I have the ideas. I map them all. I see where they're going. And then I pass them off to Christina, my COO and, and Jamie, my director of operations, and they make them happen. You know? So I think that that is, you know, part of the reason why I've been successful. Forcing, being Not forced. part of the reason, by the way. Not oh, part really? Of the Not no. part of the reason? It's the reason. And, and this is actually chapter one of the book. It is identify your big idea. What you did Kim, not too long ago, is you identified your big idea. Mm -hmm. You identified that big idea. We talked about it. We had an incredible conversation about on Entrepreneurs on Fire. So anybody who's a fan of Kim, you know, go to eofire.com. Just type Kim in the search bar. Her show notes page will pop up. Listen to the episode. Fascinating story. Fascinating journey. And guess what? You identified your big idea. But your big idea, I'm not going to say it was very broad and vague, but you know, a lot of people were doing the fitness thing, period. Still are and will, always will be. But then you, you took the next step. And the next step is step two. You discovered your niche within that big idea. And then you owned that niche. You saw a void in the marketplace that needed to be filled. And you filled that void. And you are reaping the massive exponential rewards as a result because you became a first mover advantage in that place. And the first mover advantage is unbelievably important. And once you get that lead, by the way, it's up to you or me. It's up to Kim, by the way. And I'm pointing at Kim, like it's up to Kim or myself to relinquish that lead. And we're not willing to relinquish that lead. Like we are in the front. We're going to stay there because we're going to keep working hard. We're going to keep training hard. So back when I had my big idea, which was a podcast, I said, well, that's a broad, vague idea. A lot of people are doing podcasts. What about a business podcast? That's one niche down. Okay, a lot of people doing that. Another niche down, another level down. What about an interview business podcast? Okay, there's still like four or five people doing it back in 2012. What if I, I niched another time until it hurts? And what would that look like? What would niching till it hurt looks like? Doing a seven-day-a-week podcast when my closest competition was doing once one episode a week. What if I did seven a week and blew them out of the water? Not quality, because I wasn't going to be good, by the way. Quantity. I blew them out of the water the only way I could, quantity. And that's why the day that I launched, I was the best, the worst, the only daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. I discovered the niche. I owned it. I had first mover advantage, and I won. Because the higher the barrier that you can set as a businessman or a businesswoman, the lower the competition. And my barrier was so high was seven days a week. Nobody could, nobody could compete. I had no competition. That's why I won. And it wasn't for everybody. But guess what? Neither is Kim. Kim is not for everybody. And she's gone to $8 million in three years. And that's actually the beauty. That is the beauty is that she's not for everybody and that I'm not for everybody. Because the people that we're for, they are our people. They are our raving fans, which is, by the way, step three, which is creating your avatar, that perfect customer, that perfect client. And that's just the first three steps. So going back to why I kind of interrupted Kim, a second ago was Kim lives every day in her big idea in what I call her zone of fire. She is only doing the things that Kim can and should be doing. Interviewing people like myself, interviewing other luminaries in her space, training five days a week because she has a brand and she can't just be a couch potato going for her now. She knows that. So everything that Kim does 
is in her zone of fire and she hires the amazing team around her to do the other things that she should not be doing because they are not her zones of fire. And that's building a team as part of the 17-step roadmap, of course. And I brought Amy Porterfield in to talk about that step, who's incredible. She has a 19-person team right now and just managed it wonderfully. And that'd be a, a fantastic episode for you to listen to. I interviewed to. her last week. Yeah. Did she talk about how she built her team? Uh, do you know, I, I, I asked her more about like personal stuff. We talked about like making more money yeah. than our husbands. <laughs> Typical, like typical lady stuff. I love it. <laughs> but her, her her process about building a team and how she literally has four departments and she only talks to the department head. So she literally feels like she has four people on her team, even though it's 19. Mm-hmm. And, that, and there's ways to do it. So that's just kind of a longer way of saying Kim's living in her zone of fire. That's why she's winning at a high level. So few people that are hearing our voice right now and that are seeing our face that have yet to achieve financial freedom and fulfillment, they're not living in their zone of fire. They're not in any way, shape or form. And that's sad. And this book changes that. I just love what you said there, because actually what I, whenever you'd said about me going into fitness, I, you know, I did, and I looked at fitness and I looked at the vegan women's bodybuilding, but, and there were other vegan fitness athletes in the space at the time. But what I did was I, I, I looked at them all and I realized no one had a scalable business model. They were all doing one-to-one coaching or, you know, three-month coaching or selling, you know, $97 four-week courses, but no one actually had a scalable business model. So like you decided to go live seven or to release an episode seven days a week. I decided to create, I decided to take the digital marketing model that was people were only using for business and apply it to the fitness industry. And still there is no one else doing it in the way that I'm doing. Now, a couple of other people have copied me and they're now trying to build 12-month programs and online programs and scalable business models, but no one is doing it to the way the way I'm doing it, and no one will be able to catch me because they I catch you. Yeah, I now have a 21 person team, and I'm and we are we have coaches worldwide, and as you said, everything is going. So you can find. I love that you said that because it's true. People go, oh, but I'm in fitness. How can I find my thing? Well, it's not always just about finding a market segment or a niche or a you know a vegan women. Sometimes it's going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Have you read the book, um, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy? Yes, that book is very very Game old. Game changer. Yeah, but very, very timeless. It just has such true principles within it that um, is, is key. You know, I mean, to sum it up in a couple of sentences, it's like, hey, instead of messing around in the red ocean where everybody's, all the sharks are, like, mm-hmm. why not find the blue ocean? And that's exactly what discovering your niche is. It's going down, not a, a brand new idea, because a brand new idea that nobody's ever done is probably not a good idea. Because guess what? Your big idea, and I mean this for everybody listening and hearing this right now, every single person, your big ideas a fantastic idea. I promise you, your big idea is a great idea. And by the way, they're like, well, what is my big idea? That's chapter one. We teach you how to identify your big idea. Once you've identified it, believe me when I say it's a great idea. And that's where most people fail, Kim, is they're just like, oh, this is my big idea. This is a great idea. I'm going all in on this. And it's a red ocean because it's it's a good flipping idea. It's a great idea. So of course, other people are doing it in, in incredible ways. Your competition is ferocious and they will squash you like a bug because that's what you are when you start. You're a bug. So what do you need to do? You need to discover the niche within that red ocean that is not being fulfilled, that has a void. Like I do with a daily podcast. I was going to be a terrible podcaster and I was when I started but I did something that no one else did. Kim was not going to be the best individual coach at exactly what other people were doing with a one-on-one coaching day one. She was going to get there eventually, but she had to put in the reps first. Mm -hmm. 
but she took it in a different direction. She found an underserved segment of that audience. She niched down, niched down, niched down, and won, got off in front of the races, and she's never going to relinquish that lead now, and neither will I. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Were you naturally defiant as a child? I, I ask because so, I have this theory that truly the reason why I'm able to identify segments of the market and areas of that no one else is serving is because I grew up the youngest of three children being told, don't do that, can't do that, don't do that, don't move, <laughs> don't talk too loud, speak quieter, constantly being told, you can't, you don't, you won't, you shouldn't. And I've just was like, ah, so I just naturally looked at whatever they told me to do. I did the opposite. So I think that it was good training to be an entrepreneur. Were you the same? I think my training was opposite of yours, actually, because I was the opposite. And so I was the oldest and nobody told me not to do anything. So I just thought I could always do anything. And that was my (laughs) attitude. So I like that there's two ends of this equation and both end up working. Um, So that was me. Now, have you ever heard of the Enneagram test? Yes. Actually, one of my director of ops was telling me about it this week. She took it. Okay. So I'm an eight, which if you take it, I'd not be surprised if you were an eight as well, which of the nine, there's nine different results you'll get. The eight is a challenger. And that is my number one, essentially Enneagram trait is that I challenge everything. Like you could be like the wisest person, you know, in an area of expertise that I have no clue in. And you can tell me your knowledge and I will learn from it and I'll take it, but I'll still challenge it. I'll be like, I, I need, I need more proof. <laughs> like I'm not just going to take you at your word. I don't take people at their words ever. I always dive deeper. So for instance, I hired a mentor the day that I decided to launch a podcast, Jamie Masters. She was a fantastic and still is a fantastic business podcast host. That's what I wanted to be, a fantastic business podcast host, which by the way, chapter five, I teach you how to find your mentor. It's a very specific process that everybody does wrong until you understand the correct way to do it. Mm. So I found the right mentor. She was amazing. I joined the right mastermind, Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man's mastermind. These were two of the illuminaries, Kim, in the podcasting space. And they both looked at me without any unclear messaging and said, John, a daily podcast will fail. It will fail because you'll get burned out. You'll never find enough guests. Your listeners will get behind and they'll never be able to catch up. And yada, they gave me all the reasons. And most people would say, you're right. Why don't I just launch a weekly podcast like everybody else is doing? That's what most people would do. And most people fail. But I said, you know what? If the best people in the world in this specific niche of podcasting are telling me that it can't be done and I figure out a way to do it, there's the flipping opportunity right there. And that's what I did, Kim. I used their advice again, about not doing it as fuel and excitement to actually do it. Because I'm like, well, I know they're wrong. I know a daily podcast can be done. And if I figure out how to do it, then think about how high of a barrier to kind of, you know, rehash what I was talking about earlier that I'm building. And the higher my barrier, the lower my competition is. And that's why I was able to win on such a massive level. So to answer your question completely right now, I challenge everything. I'm a challenger. And I, th- I think you are too. Yes, probably. And I watched, I love what you said, because I watched a, a, an interview recently with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he said that every time he heard someone say, it can't be done, you, you won't be able to do it. It's never been done. He heard it can be done. It will be done. I must do it. You know, some people said, oh, you'll never be able to become a movie star. He did it. You'll never be able to move to America. He did it. You'll never be able to win the Olympia. He did it. You know, every time someone told him it couldn't be done, you'll never become governor of California. Or was it California? 
he California. was the governor of, yeah. And, you know, and he, and he, so all he heard was it can be done. And so I, I love that you said that and you, that you reframed it. But, you know, let, let me just ask you a question. You were in the army, weren't you, when you were younger and then you went to law school? <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who aren't watching the video, he's just saluted me. I kind of like that. Do you want to, will you do that again? <laughs> Can you call me ma'am, actually, <laughs> for the rest of this podcast? Ma'am, yes, ma'am. I was in the Army for eight years. I was an officer in the U.S. Army. So I spent um, four years as an active duty officer and then four years in the reserves. And during my active duty component, I was actually an armor platoon leader in charge of four tanks and 16 men in Iraq. And so I got the the real army experience, you know, not the peacetime army experience with nothing against it. We need the army in the peacetime, mm -hmm. but, um, I got the wartime army experience and it was intense and it taught me a lot that of course I've applied to my business over the years for sure, specifically how to actually be productive. That's producing the right content, how to be disciplined. That means actually having a plan of action and executing that plan of action, which so few people do or have, and then three focusing following one course until success. Those three things I've done and I've done better than most other entrepreneurs. And again, that's why I've had a business now that unlike yours with 21, which is amazing, but that's not what I want. I want a lean, small team. I have three virtual assistants in the Philippines. My monthly salary for them is under $4,000 total. And that's why we don't just make a lot of money, but we keep the money that we make. Mm -hmm. We net over $100,000 every single month, sometimes much, much, much more, but never under $100,000 a month for 90, 90 straight months. And that's actually, spoiler alert, chapter 17, step 17, keeping yeah, the money yeah. you make. Because there's a lot of people in this world, Cam, they make a lot of money. Yeah. And after the taxes and the payroll and the ad spend and the this and the that, there's almost nothing left over. Yeah. it's. Do you think as well, I, to go back to your army training, do you think that it taught you, um, well, two things I want to ask actually about what you just said about the money. It probably, it taught you to ration well, to, to make do with a little, to produce a lot out of a little and to be careful with your resources. I don't know if those things are actually true. That's kind of one thing about the military is um, we have abundance in the military, you know, and that, it's not the case for all armies, but the United States military is the best army in the world. There's a reason for that. We're typically overfunded, <laughs> over, oversupplied, over everything, um, oversupported typically, you know, by the populace, even if they don't agree necessarily with the wars we're fighting, they always support the troops because they know that we're not choosing to go to war. We're being told and we're just doing our, our duty, so to speak. So this, the, the troops always have the support, um, no matter what we're doing, which has been fantastic. And I think a better way to look at it than what you shared, and again, this is probably the challenger coming out of me because whenever anybody asks me a leading question, I, I just want to disagree with it anyways, just because I don't like leading questions, um, as, as I'm sure you don't actually either. Because no, you're a challenger as go well. on ahead. This is, this is your <laughs> show, baby. <laughs> I, uh, I I just learned to you know to do. Um, with sometimes the excess that we had, you know, with the extra supplies, the extra troops, with the extra, you know, opportunities and air support. Like we went to war, it was almost like equivalent. And this is this is like a true analogy of like an NBA basketball team, or maybe like an analogy for like um, you know, Ireland might be better is like, you know, the Irish World Cup soccer team, you know, playing against you know, a, uh, an elementary school, um, soccer team. And like, that's not a super exaggeration. I mean, the, 
the weapons that we had, the technology, the air support, the ground support, the, everything, it was not a balanced war. And, and, and that's a good thing when it's life or death, you don't wanna go into a fair fight, essentially. You don't wanna go into a balanced fight. You wanna have the marked advantage, which we did. And I think that the one thing I really took away from that to kind of wrap this part up is don't underestimate your enemy because even if you have all of the, the right tools, they can still hit you where it hurts. And that's where you heard a lot of the IEDs. And that's where you heard a lot of, you know, other, you know, ways that they were able to kind of penetrate our forces because they, they couldn't, they couldn't do it, you know, head on. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like not to take this down a different rabbit hole, but, you know, knowing a little bit about military history, I'm sure a lot of your Belfast audience can resonate with this because that was a lot of what was happening, you know, with the English army back in the day, you know, that was occupying Belfast and the surrounding Northern Ireland areas. Um, you know, you found other ways to fight, not just like these, let's march in line and line up against the Redcoats, which were the most powerful army in the world at the time, and just like try to, you know, outgun them. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. But there were things you could do. Mm -hmm. That's so scrappy. Yeah, I never, I never thought about that. One thing it probably does um, teach you and uh, to move away from the army now, I guess. But um, do you talk about this in the book? Um, you mentioned a little bit about it earlier. Is about is about discipline. I I know that I make a lot of parallels between bodybuilding and business because I built my body and at the same time as I was building my business, and I and I know that certainly the discipline I've had to apply to showing up to training every day, whether or not I feel like it, to you know pushing to failure whenever you think you're going to get crushed under a you know a 400 pound leg press you you just show up and you do hard shit and you know and then you and then you you know move on and and I guess do you talk about that in the book about the discipline required to just show up every day even when you don't feel like it a hundred percent because what you're steps never that, feel by the way what steps that how far down the line is that step <laughs> I mean that is honestly step seven in the in the book process because the reality is this when I launched, when I when I launched on my idea of having a daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs, I knew there was no way I was gonna want I was gonna want to wake up every single day and do the work and like and and do an, a podcast episode seven days a week. Even though I committed to that release schedule, I didn't commit to, to showing up seven days a week to do an episode. What I committed to was releasing an episode every single day, mm -hmm. and I did that for five and a half years for two thousand days straight. Not by waking up every morning and doing an interview when sometimes I didn't feel like it. But by doing a process, which I outlined in step seven, which is batching like a baller, mm -hmm. I do eight interviews once a week for Entrepreneurs on Fire. So one day a week, right down my schedule, I'm doing eight interviews. When I interviewed you, Kim, you were one of eight interviews that day. Mm -hmm. And I was locked in. I was focused. I was high energy because that was my day. That's the day that I bring the heat for entrepreneurs on fire. And I make sure my guests do as well. That's my Super Bowl every single Sunday for football players and here in America. But that my, my Super Bowl was every single week, that one day that I had eight interviews scheduled. And so that allowed me to go all out on that one day and then take the other six days to do other parts of my life and business, to recharge, to recuperate, to work on this project, this book, this course, this community, whatever that looked like, but not always be committed to doing one of these at a minimum every single day. Cause you know it as well as I do. It's like, you got to come in the studio. You got to turn your equipment on. You got to do mic checks. You got to set up this. You got to set up that. You got to do, get your audio editing all going on. You got to get into the click, 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 like interview zone now. And when you do that once, and then you just knock out eight episodes, boom, you're in the zone all day. 
but to like have to recreate that every single day, mm -hmm. that's where so many people fail because they never even thought of that concept, batching like a baller. So I batch everything that I do, everything that I do. And by the way, that is the longest chapter, the longest step mm -hmm. of all 17 steps, step seven, chapter seven, creating a content production plan. 13,500 words are in that one step. And I'm telling you right now, the reason why we've generated $100,000 net profit minimum for 90 months in a row is because our content production plan is fantastic. Was it fantastic day one? No. <laughs> year two? No. Year four? Getting good. Now we're entering into year 10, like our first decade of business. Like it is unbelievable. And man, we give it all away in that step. We show you how to create a content production plan like a baller. And after you read that chapter, your head will be like, I want my head to spin off this earth right now because of how terrible my content production plan was in comparison. But now you got okay. the, you get the keys to the castle. I just love that. Okay. And here's what I want to say about that. And this is why I really, really want to encourage people to, to read, to, to pick up a copy of the book. I, of course, haven't read it yet because it hasn't been released, but just what you said there, and you will probably find this too. People come to me all the time and they say, Kim, I really want to X, Y, Z. Can you tell me exactly how to do it? And I look at their plan and I say, okay, I see instantly with AJ, I go, here's exactly what you need to do. Here's step one, step two, step three, step four. And here's two extra steps that I think you should also take. And they go, great, thank you. And they go away and they do the complete opposite. Or they do steps <laughs> two and five, or they do steps one, but they change something slightly. And they go, and I say, well, why did you not take this step here? And they say, oh, well, because like, I, I just, I didn't think that would resonate with my audience. And I'm like, don't be an asshole. If you're going to fucking ask my advice, take it. Do you know what I mean? I and it drives me awesome. insane. Why would you ask someone who's phenomenally successful at exactly what you want to do, their advice, and then do the opposite because it just didn't feel right. So were you basically saying, John, that if people go through your book and they read this step, which I'm really excited about now, that you literally lay out your entire efficiency content plan? Because I know how efficient you are. Cause I was on your podcast and I was like, here's exactly what you need to do. Here's exactly the microphone you need to purchase. Here's exactly your setup you need to have. If you don't have any of these, don't show up. If one of these is missing, don't show up for the interview. I mean, there were, there was no room for error. And I loved it because it really was like, I was like, this is an amazing system. You're like, I'm going to copy this and you should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, <laughs> and I didn't for my podcast because I really should. But I, I think that because you obviously do eight interviews in a day, you have to be highly efficient. And I think this comes back to what I was saying in the beginning about, you know, I do the things in my company that only I can do. It makes me highly efficient. I have four children who I homeschool. I have a husband who I want to see occasionally. I have a big team. I have my bodybuilding. I have my business. I have a lot of shit going on. So I have to be highly efficient at everything I do. And that is, is that what's in that chapter about the, the, the 13,000, is it 13,000 word chapter? Chapter 13, seven? 13,500 words where I lay out every single part of our content production plan from step A to step Z all the way through everything. And that's this whole book, by the way, it's giving it all away because I've spent 10 years building up the knowledge it took to write the 71,000 total words that are in this book, the 273 pages, just of baller, baller business content. But the reality is like, this doesn't need to be a $2,000 course because I've done that. Like I've built my financial war chest. Now I'm on that next stage of my life, which is going from financial success to significance. And that's why now I want to, I wanted to write this book. I wanted to give this gift to anybody that wants it because it's in a book form. It's incredibly affordable. 
And I mean gift, not like in any egotistical manner, because this isn't a gift like coming from my brain. This is a gift coming from the 3,000 people that I spent tens of thousands of hours interviewing over the past decade and taking their genius and putting it into this book. Of course, I put it into my business along the way, which is why my business is so financially and just overall successful. But I've taken it and put it into this book for everybody to access. If you access and apply the 17-step roadmap, you are going to find your version of financial freedom and fulfillment. It's really a, it's a foregone conclusion. It's just a matter of when and what that looks like. And by the way, Kim, I don't even know if you've ever heard of the, the state of Montana, but it, here in the States, it's like a, it's, a, it's a very kind of like rustic country state where there's just a lot of beautiful lakes and country. And I have a friend that lives in Bozeman, Montana, on a lake, making $47,000 a year, doing exactly what he loves doing every single day, outside with his cattle, on a lake, fishing, coming back, working on his zone of fire for a couple of hours a day, living well within his means. And that's success right there. Like that is uncommon success because he has figured it out. And that's a huge part of this book as well is, you know, uncommon success isn't always making millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. It can be for certain people like Kim and I, like we've done that. That's part of our version of uncommon success, but it doesn't have to be for people that are overwhelmed by that thought or have other passions that they want. They don't want to build a 21 person, $8 million business. So they don't want to build a three person, you know, entrepreneur, you know, business podcast business that, that does what it does. They just want to be doing what they love every single day, making 40, 50, 60, hundred thousand, whatever that looks like, that number looks like living within their means, keeping the money they make by following the principles in this book and living a financially free and fulfilled life. Do you talk about goal setting in the book, John? Goal setting is everything. Everything. I mean, back in 2016, I actually launched this journal right here called the Freedom Journal. And it's a gorgeous faux leather journal, gold embossed. Like it is a work of art. Like physically, it's beautiful. The reason why I wanted to make it beautiful is because I wanted people to actually be proud of it, to be like whip it out when they're at a coffee shop or have it you know, right in their bedside um, little coffee table so they could like be entering it in the morning and then you know, writing in it in the evenings. And that is exactly what that book is. It's accomplishing your number one goal in 100 days because that is everything. And I did this book, you know, five years ago now. Mm -hmm. And this journal still sells, you know, the, hun the hundreds every single week on, you know, platforms like Amazon and Shopify because so many people need this content. And so goals are a huge part of the book, The Common Path, Uncommon Success, because it's been a huge part of my life. And you need to be goal-oriented. You do. I 100% agree. It's the first, the first step I, I, I kind of, well, this is one thing that I did, you know, people always ask me, what was I motivated by? And, and I'm really honest. And I just say, you know, I was living at home. I was living at home. I wasn't living at home with my parents, but I was, yeah. I was, I was living I was with living my husband. In my own home. Living in my own doing. home with my husband, yeah. but I, I kind of felt like I was living with my parent because I was a stay-at-home mom and he was paying the bills. And I just hated not being able to have money to spend it on the things that I wanted to spend it on. Because whenever you were the one who earns the money, you kind of, you know, he, we had different values, Ryan and I. I was very much about, um, I love spoiling people. I love like expensive vacations and I love really nice cars. And I love, you know, the finer things in life. I'm a luxury lover. Whereas he's a little, he likes luxury, but he's also very conservative. He likes to put money into, you know, uh, wealth creation and assets and, you know, building futures yeah, for our children and all this. You like to keep this. the money he makes. Yeah. You like to spend the money you make. That's okay. 
yeah, it's the perfect combination. But the problem was he didn't like me spending his money that he wanted to save. Right. So he constantly felt like I was, I was, you know, capped or whatever. So really, whenever I started my business, I just wanted to make millions and millions of dollars. I wanted to be fantastically wealthy. And that was always my goal. And it still is my number one goal. I'm not even anywhere near as rich as I want to be. So, you know, and people always go, well, you shouldn't really say that out loud. And I'm like, well, why not? Like, that why was my not? goal. And it doesn't matter what your goal is. It was the same with bodybuilding. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to be fit and healthy and wonderful. No, I wanted to be a 40 year old with a fabulous ass. who could walk down the beach in a thong <laughs> and people go, Holy God, she has amazing ass at age 40. You know, like I wanted people to look at me and admire I what it. I looked like. It's, is it shallow? Yeah, whatever. I don't care. You know, it's, and so, but you know, you just have to have something. But I think the problem is so many people judge themselves for their goals. Oh, I really shouldn't want that. I should want world peace. And I just, and people go, I just want to empower women. No, you don't. You want to be rich. You want to make loads of money and fly in a helicopter. You know, it's like, I don't know. I just think sometimes that I, I think sometimes a lot of people aren't honest about what they really want. Like the gritty, nitty, nitty gritty, uh, you know, the, the deep down and dirty stuff that we don't even really talk about out loud. You know, I think honesty is a big factor in it as well. Do you, do, would you agree? Do you think like it's important to really connect with what you want? You've got to connect with what you want. You've got to understand it, which is, that's why it's step one. It's identifying your big idea. Like that's mm -hmm. what you want, your big idea. That's how you want to be spending your days. Because to me, success is, you know, doing what you want, where you want, with who do you want. And like, when you have the ability to do that, like you are living a great, fulfilled, happy life. And listen, money doesn't specifically buy happiness, but believe me, because I've been there and Kim has too, the lack of money makes it really hard to be happy. So we're not saying that like you need to just be chasing money for money's sake, but like what money can bring you is fantastic. And again, I do challenge that kind of comment anyways about money can't bring happiness because I'm like, oh, that's funny. Have you ever handed a blank check to an amazing charity or cause that you believe in and they could then go off and do exactly what they needed to do? Would, would that bring you happiness if you were able to do that? And the answer of course is yes. And I'm like, well, why don't you do that? Well, it's because you're living paycheck to paycheck. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've written hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to my favorite charities. And that's brought me amazing happiness. We went to Guatemala two years ago to see the multiple schools that we've built in these developing countries and like the joy in the kids' faces and the, the jobs we're giving for the men and the women in that town that never had access to education before. And now these kids who never would have even been able to read, you know, have a whole new lease on life. And it is unbelievable. And the joy that it brings me to write those checks and the joy that it brings me to be able to lay my head at night and close my eyes and have zero financial stress mm -hmm. is priceless. Yeah, you're right. And I always say money is how we express our value in the world. You know, like money, just like they always say, alcohol brings out, you know, a person's true personality. You know, if you're a nasty person inside, you'll be a nasty drunk. And if you're, you know, a, if you're like a, a closet, my, my husband, I always laugh. He has an alter ego called Brian who comes out when he's drunk. And Brian is the life and soul of the party, <laughs> let me tell you. And so, you know, I, I money is how we express our value in the world. You know, the more money you have, the more of who you are will come out, you know, and the more money yeah. I have, the more giving I am. The more I take care of people, the more I give to charity, the more people I look after, the more lives I try to better because that is who I am inside. So the more you have of it, the more you can express your value. Um, tell us a little bit about focus. I've talked, I've heard you talk about this before. You have like an acronym for focus, don't you? Follow one course until success. Focus. And there's like a little imagery I like to paint around this word as well. Like so many people that are, again, hearing our voices right now, I like to speak to the listeners directly because I'm speaking to your soul, I hope, because it's true. 
you go one mile wide with all of these ideas and one inch deep with all of your execution. And you wonder why you're making no impression because you're all over the place. And of course, you're not going to make any impression going one mile wide and one inch deep. You need to go one inch wide and one mile deep. Kim did it. I did it. Most of the 3,000 successful entrepreneurs who I've interviewed over 10 years have done it. One mile, uh, one inch wide, one mile deep. You focus on that one laser thing and you just go all in on it. And guess what? You become the best. Because when you can become the best solution to a real problem in this world, you will win. The second best loses. The 34th best loses. The best solution to a real problem wins. I was a bad podcast host for a long time but I was the only show in town that was doing seven days a week. So if you wanted that type of quantity, and a lot of people did, I was the only show in town. Why did Blockbuster win for so long? Which by the way, was like, do you guys have any Blockbusters? We had in it here, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Video, they won for so long because they were the only shop in town. You wanted to rent a movie on a, on, a, on a cold winter's night back in the 90s. All you could do was go to Blockbuster. There was no other options for you. That was it. Of course, Netflix came in, blew them up, and it's gone. But the point is, how can you be the only, the only? And that's how you become the best, and that's how you win. And also, do you not think whenever you first go that one inch wide and that one mile deep, you know, I, I now what I find is because my business is at the size that it is, and you'll probably find this too, I have so many more opportunities because I have so much more resources, financial time. Well, obviously I have less and less time, but because my team grows, I find I have more time to do, to spend on the things that I really want to spend on and spend time on. So you have the opportunity one, once you've gone, have you ever read The Dip by Seth Godin? Oh Yeah. I love the dip. It's one of my favorite books. And so, and I talk about it a lot about how you, most of us, well, he talks about to know when to quit. You know, if you get into the dip, he said, the only way to keep, the, so those of you who haven't read it, it's amazing. And he, Seth talks about the only way to, to reach success is to keep going through the dip. You know, you either, but you know, once you get into the dip, which basically is the hard part of, of any project, you either have to keep going because that's the only way to get through it or you have to quit and start something else. But I find that what most people do, which is what you I think is what you said, or it's a similar thing is, you know, you start one thing, you, you, you do it for a little while and then you, it gets hard. So you jump to the next thing and then you do it for a little while, it gets hard and you jump to the next thing you do it a little while, it gets hard. And so people never really get through the dip because it's not easy, John. Sure. It's not like it's fucking hard to keep if, going and going and going whenever it seems like it's all against you. If it was easy, Everybody would be successful. So, I mean, that's it. I'm glad it's not easy. I am flipping glad that it is hard to become successful because those of us who become successful, we reap exponential benefits as a result. And anybody listening to our voices right now can be one of those people getting through that dip, pounding through that trough of sorrow that a lot of people call it. And it is a trough of sorrow. Now, granted, and and Seth does get into this, you've got to know when, you know, it's just not going to work and you're just going to pull out. But if you know you're living in your big idea, which again is back to the core, if you are living in your big idea, in your zone of fire, you stay in that trough of sorrow. You stay in that dip until you burst out the other side because you know it's the thing that you were meant to be doing. And that's the beauty of it. Because so many people... They never sit down and they never identify their big idea and they see what Kim's doing and they see what John's doing and they say, I'm going to go be a pale, weak imitation of those people. And then they're shocked when they fail. But wait, 
John's so successful. Kim's so successful. I'm doing exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But John and Kim are living in their zone of fire. That's why we're crushing it. You're a weak, pale imitation of us. That's why you're failing and will always fail in that specific endeavor. Go back to the drawing board, wipe your slate clean, identify your big idea for maybe the first time in your life. Because I guarantee you, your parents put on terrible expectations upon you and they have no clue about what it takes to be successful, specifically in 2021 and beyond. Clueless. I mean, another parent, I, I want to get to it. I want to I live long enough where parents like literally can look at their kids and say, don't become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Don't become a lawyer. Because doctors and lawyers are miserable. They're miserable. And, you know, there's obviously the 1% who are perfect and they're living in their zone of fire, but that's 1%. They're miserable, they're unhappy, and they're just doing it because their parents wanted them to. And they're living a life out for their parents. And there's a fantastic book called The Five Biggest Regrets of the Dying, where a nurse, a hospice nurse, spent 20 years with people in the last days of their life. And one of those five regrets was living a life to other people's expectations, specifically their parents who had been dead for 40 years by the time, you know, 50 years sometimes, yet they lived their whole lives for that. So sad. Parents, they want their best for the kids, but man, they screw them up almost every single time. I hope you don't, Kim. Yeah, you're talking to a radical unschooler here. My kids don't oh, go to school. Well, they live a life of complete freedom. We live by principles, not rules. My nine-year-old, that people are shocked when I tell them this, but my nine-year-old goes to bed anywhere between 2 and 5 a.m. every day. <laughs> I am shocked by that, actually. Because he's just uh, my, yeah, so my kids are 9, 11, uh, 13, and 15. They are... Uh, they're online gamers. They We give them as much technology as they want. They live a life of complete freedom. We have no screen time. We have no limits. We don't do any education with them whatsoever. They're all self-taught readers, writers, mathematicians. They have their own PayPal accounts, bank accounts. They transfer money to each other. They earn money. They speak fluent Mandarin Chinese because we've always had uh, wow. Chinese nannies for them. We just let them be who they are. And and I people always say to me, but what about you know, university or college? I'm like, well, I hope to God they don't go. And they're like, <laughs> Oh man, Why? that is I'm my like, dream that if I have kids, they do not <laughs> go to university. Yeah. And again, if hey, if my I have a daughter or a son and they're just like they come to me at 17 or 18, they're like, I truly want to be a veterinarian. Right. You know, right. I would number one, I would make them, and I mean force them. And I guess that's a strong word, but I would no. strongly encourage them when they're 17 or 18 to go job shadow. That means getting up every yeah. morning for at least three months and, and literally being on the ass of that veterinarian to actually experience what it means to be a vet. Like what you think at 9, 11, 17, what it means to be a vet, it's not delivering puppies seven no. days a week. No. <laughs> it's not. And I'm telling you, this is from experience. Like my mother and my sister and many other people that I know, you know, went to nursing school because they saw they saw Grey's Anatomy. They're like, oh my God, being a nurse, I get to like be the number two to Mr. McDreamy. Like, that's amazing. And then they go and they work from 9 a.m., 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. for the first, you know, five years of their career. So they're working the night shift because that's what every nurse has to do when they start, almost every nurse, which is miserable. So that completely ruins your life there. Number two, they're literally just, you know, like changing um, piss pans and ship pans all day, every day. That's miserable. Who wants to do that? And they went to school for that. They're in debt and they're not making much money because nurses don't make much money. But that's just a random, t- you know, example of like, I'm like, wait, you never went and shadowed a nurse? They're like, no, I never went and shadowed. Why would I go shadow a nurse? So you can actually see what, you're, what you'd be talking about. It's like, it baffles my mind. And again, I, I fell in the same boat. I was like, the army's awesome. Like, I'm going to get to run around like GI Joe and blow things up. 
the army was miserable 90 plus percent of the time and nothing like I envisioned it. But I was clueless. I was clueless and I paid a result. And guess what? It was my fault. But I was 16. I was 17 when I signed the dotted line. It's mm-hmm. also my parents' fault for like not being like, let's send you to, to boot camp. Go be an, go go live in the army life for three months and come back if you want to do it. Awesome. Go do GI Joe. I would have hated it, Kim. Mm-hmm. And I would have never done it. And my life would be different. I'm not saying it would be better or worse. But at least I would have not been, you know, miserable for most of my military experience. Yeah. One thing I do teach my kids, which actually, uh, just before we finish, I can't believe we've been talking for nearly an hour. (laughs) But um, one of the things I do teach my kids, uh, which I think is is important, and I would love to know if you if you talk about this in the book too, but is. I, I say to them, human beings are meant to evolve. We're, we're taught that we're supposed to be linear. You grow up, you go to school, you get an education, you go to college, you get a degree, you get a job, you stay in that job, you get married, you have children, you maybe move career once or you progress and then you die, you know, and you have your grandchildren or whatever. And I always say to my, my children, like I started three businesses before I found the Sculpted Vegan. I tried to be successful three times and three times I failed. And I remember my, my aunt actually saying to me, she's quite judgmental. She's, she's she means well, but she said to me, God, Kim, if only you could stick at one thing, you would be really successful. And I remember being really stung when she said it to me. And Is she successful, by the way? She did have a moderate, a good, a successful company. She doesn't have my oh. level of success, yeah. actually, in any way. Oh, but over her. here in Belfast, yeah, she was successful. So she did understand that you did need to stick at something. But also what I teach my kids, like I was like 21 at the time or 22 or something. And I, but I did teach my kids, you need, you're, you're supposed to, um, evolve. You know, you try something, you fill yourself up with that until, and then you realize, oh yes, this is my thing. You realize, yeah. okay, this isn't my thing. And then you move and then you try again, you fill up and then you move until you find as you call your zone of fire. And that's when it's that, like, that's what it was like for me when I find bodybuilding. That was how it was for me when I found podcasting. I was just like mm-hmm. a law school dropout, corporate finance. I just, just couldn't stand it. And then I was in real estate because I thought that was like freedom and that wasn't for me and all these different things. And I kept shifting and transitioning and starting over and trying and then boom, hit the podcasting thing. And I was like, this is my thing. And hey, when it stops being my thing after two years, after five years, now after 10 years, if it stops being my thing, Mm -hmm. I will happily step back and and go and search that next thing for me because we do evolve, we do change. And, you know, that's kind of one point I want to make, like, it's, it's cool that, you know, your aunt gave you advice, actually, at least coming from a place of whatever, you know, level of moderate success she had. But it's kind of like, you know, for me, uh, for most examples of people giving advice, you know, it's like that fat doctor being like, this is what you should eat. You know, it's like that, you know, smoking that nurse who smokes a pack of cigarettes a day, which most, you know, so many do being like, you know, this is how you should live your, you know, your, 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 yourself. your health and your life and yeah, your wellness. You know, it's like that, um, you know, broke uncle who's like, you know, this is the business you should be running. It's like, be careful who your mentors are. And that's actually why I started Entrepreneurs on Fire. I'm like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Like you are the average Mm -hmm. of the five people you spend the most time with. It's a great Jim Rohn quote. And my five back in 2012 sucked. They, they weren't bad people, but they sucked. Like, and as far as like financial freedom, fulfillment, happiness, they were good people, but not who I wanted to be or emulate or be around. And this podcast back in 2012, put me around the people I wanted to be around successful, inspiring, motivational humans, human beings, and all ships rise in a high tide. And I, I rose with them and I still do to this day. So that's, you know, the the culmination of these 3000 interviews, you know, of 
the thousands and thousands of hours that I've been a mentee to these mentors. And I just, I put into a book, the 17 step roadmap. The book goes live on March 23rd, but if you're hearing this before March 23rd, do not wait. You want to pre-order because we have five insane pre-order bonuses that all disappear before the actual launch. That's what I want to talk about. And by the way, John, this is going live on Thursday. So this is Tuesday. This is going Thursday. I want to get it out before the book comes. So this is, by the way, March 23rd, 2020, by the way, in case you're listening to this. 2021. Sorry, 2021. God, I'm a year behind. (laughs) (laughs) March 20. Yeah, I'm like, wait, I'm still living in last year. Uh, March 23rd, 2021. So um, they can obviously pick the book up in all the usual places. But if you pre-order the book from uncommonsuccessbook.com, you can unlock bonuses, as you said, such as the Common Path PDF, um, exclusive video series, three journals with 100 fifty dollar value the podcast yeah. journal the freedom journal the mastery journal all of this at uncommonsuccessbook.com which we will link to in the show notes we'll link to everything in the show notes but you're giving like all this stuff for free with the book it's all bonuses they're all free all of them disappear when march 23rd comes because once the book goes live we're not gonna be at oh so you have to you, you right you have to pre-order have to pre-order okay pre-ordering direct so if, you're hearing, if you're hearing this after march 23rd listen you're still you're awesome <laughs> you're still awesome buy the book None of the bonuses will apply. I'm sorry, they won't. Um, But buy the book because it will change your life. It will give you financial freedom and fulfillment. It will unlock your common path to uncommon success. It will. But if you're hearing this before March 23rd, 2021, take action. There's five Mm -hmm. insane bonuses. You can read about all the bonuses um, at uncommonsuccessbook.com. And I love how you brought up Seth Godin earlier. Obviously, you admire him. I admire him to such a high level. He read and personally endorsed this book. So he's one of my endorsements that you can read on that page, on that website. Gary Vaynerchuk read and personally endorsed this book. Neil Patel, Eric and Mandy, Dory Clark, baller endorsements. Go check them out. I have a video with more details about the book on the page. I actually give away the first chapter for free on that page as well. So you can read it. All of that is at uncommonsuccessbook.com. And I know we got to get off here, Kim, but the thing I just want to say at the very end is so many people in this world have been lied to by those who want them to think that the path to success is hidden, it's secrets, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Listen, Kim knows this, I know this, it takes hard flipping work mm-hmm. to find your version of uncommon success. So if you're not willing to work hard, this book's not for you, but it's not complicated. It's not hidden, it's not secret. It is a common path that myself, Kim, the other 3000 plus people that I've interviewed have taken to our version of uncommon success and it's here for you. So head over uncommonsuccessbook.com, check it out. It's pre-order, pre-order. or order if it's post nine, uh, 323, 21. And uh, Kim, you're awesome. Uh, John, let me ask you one last question. It's something I get asked a lot. Is Do you need to have a business idea already to purchase this book? This book, chapter one, step one, will gift you your business idea. It will gift you your big idea. It will gift you your zone of fire that we've been talking about living in the zone of fire. So if you have a business idea, step one will either validate it, that it is actually your big idea, not just a big idea, which as you know, Kim, is usually just a weak, pale imitation of somebody else's idea. This will validate your idea, help you tweak, adjust it if you need it, or go back to the drawing board and get a fresh one. But if you don't right now have any of those things that I just talked about, yes, this will get that for you. And then you just move on to step two. Fantastic. Because there's a lot of people I know really want success, but just need that first step. John, tell me, uh, tell my listeners where they can find you apart from uncommonsuccessbook.com. If they want to follow you or listen to you, where do they go? 
got an awesome podcast called Entrepreneurs on Fire featuring Kim. Like massaging your microphone there. (laughs) (laughs) And my website's eofire.com. We've also published 90 consecutive income reports. We're very transparent about all the revenue that we generate so people can see what works, what doesn't, and um, our successes, our failures. And it's been great talking to you today. It's been great talking to you. As Elon Musk says, uh, find something that you can buy for a penny, sell for a pound, and is habit forming. (laughs) Don't know why I was reminded of that quote just as we were finishing, but I always loved it. thought it was great. John, you have been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time because I know it is like super valuable. Um, So I do appreciate you sharing all your wisdom with us. Um, And uh, can people leave a comment somewhere or reach you personally? Like like, leave like a review of the book. Where's the best place to leave a review if they read it and they love it? On Amazon. On Amazon? Okay, right. Perfect. Just want to make sure everyone knows where to go and what to do and how to do it and all the rest of it. I'm good with direction. John, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Kim. Okay, bye. Do you know, I could have talked to him all day and John was like, he was like, I could see him almost signaling to me frantically like, oh shit, I have to go, I have to go, but damn, I really enjoy, I really enjoy talking to you. It was quite funny at the end there. He was like, Kim, love you. This was great. Gotta go. Okay, bye. Because <laughs> he had another, he had another, uh, not interview. I think he had another meeting that he had to go to, but literally, oh my God, I could have just like talked to John all day. He is truly amazing in what he has achieved. And I really do hope that you pick up, uh, pre-order a copy of the book, which is, um, which you can pick up, sorry, at uncommonsuccessbook.com. Everything we talked about in this podcast is in the show notes. Um, so you can, if you're listening to this on iTunes or on Spotify or even on our website, the Sculpted Vegans forward slash podcast, sculptedvegan.com forward slash podcast, you can go underneath, you can see every single book that we mentioned, um, also links to find John online and also links to purchase uh, his book, pre-order his book, so you can get um, loads and loads of different bonuses, which are worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So go to uncommonsuccessbook.com, pick up or pre-order a copy of the book. It has to happen before the release date of March 23rd for you to get the bonuses. If you're listening to this after March 23rd, you can just pick up a copy of the book on Amazon or at uncommonsuccessbook.com or any other good bookstore. Okay, guys, uh, thanks so much for listening. This was awesome. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week wherever you are. Sending you much love and a big kiss from me. And I'll speak to you next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Bye for now.